I just noticed that my hair looks like I've been through a wind tunnel. Perfect. That's the way Nick's looks when he gets stressed. All the time. You, you gotta have an eye. Third eye education. Third eye. Welcome to Third Eye. Today, we have a conversation with Scott Goodson, the author of Activate Brand Purpose and Uprising, as well as the founder of Strawberry Frog. He's worked with companies from Coca-Cola to Google and spoken at locations such as Harvard and TEDx. So in your book, you speak at length about building authentic purpose to help drive the work that we do. In the classroom, of course, we talk about clarity of the lesson's purpose. We talk about learning targets. We talk about clarity about essential outcomes or skills that we want our students to learn and grow in. One thing though we often miss is how action is tied to that purpose. So how do you recommend that classroom teachers can communicate purpose through their actions? We'll just throw that softball at you right away. First of all, I think having a purpose uh, is very important. It, it kind of is uh, an opportunity for an individual, in this case, a teacher, a leader of, of young minds or, or minds, let's say, to stand for or answer the question, you know, why am I doing this? What is the purpose of this moment? Why am I doing this other than simply to teach or to you know, bring people together to learn? Like, is it, for example, to help people understand that they have the potential to drive positive change in the world? And then in terms of today's world, you know, we have a lot of people who talk a lot. So to your point, actions are very important and they don't, they don't need to be huge actions. They could be small steps, but they need to be tangible actions that people can see that you actually do live your purpose and you're bringing your purpose to life. And it could be, for example, if we go to the idea of driving positive change in the world, it could be something as simple as showing the world that you have a compost and that you think that's important and that you don't need to fill up your garbage can every day with food that you can put into a compost then use it to plant you know, seeds and grow vegetables. Could be as simple as that. Um, it could be helping parents and students realize that they can walk to work. They don't need to drive two blocks in an SUV every day. It's actually healthier. And, you know, so there's lots of simple things you can do that can demonstrate you actually live your purpose. Is there a way to interweave the purpose of the classroom teacher and the purpose of the student in the classroom? Our, our students are often captive audiences, of course. They haven't shown up on purpose necessarily. They've shown up because of a mandate or whatever the case might be. And just hearing you talk about purpose, you know, for our classroom teachers, they probably have particular skills uh, that they want to help students grow in in order to be more successful in life. But for a student, uh, uh, having a project around composting in order to keep the world a better place and grow your own fruits and vegetables is going to be a more engaging uh, uh, purpose to, to dive into. And it seems like there's overlap there that could help everybody benefit. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 100%. And when I grew up and I went to school, I was put into a system that really kind of educated people for, you know, the industrial world that existed back in the 1960s. 
you know, um, and it's 2021 and coming out of COVID, there is such an array of so many, so many challenges out there. It's almost like we need to prepare students to come out of school to be warriors. They need to think about what can I do to personally drive positive change in the world and taking it, you know, one step further, I guess understanding that they can actually do this is really an important step that I think most people go to school thinking, well, you know, the government's going to take care of things or business will take care of things. You can do this. And in fact, we need you to do this. Governments do provide some benefit in terms of solving the big issues. Business certainly can step up and do a lot more in that space, but so too can young people who can, or, or any student for that matter, regardless of age, anyone who's curious and anyone who's a student can understand that fundamentally they can engage and drive, you know, some form of, of, of change, regardless of what it is, whether it's issues around diversity, inclusion, equality, whether it's issues around sustainability, you know, you name it, financial, physical, emotional, well-being issues, whatever the issues are, you can play an important role. My lens is a little different than uh, Nick and Heather's. They're, they're directly working, supporting teachers in the classroom, where mine is as a role as a school district leader. And I, so my lens in reading your, your work and looking at your thoughts have to do with the cultural movement and moving the culture a bit and establishing some common, common things, uh, common ideas and beliefs that are important. And so I'm actually going to be working on a new strategic plan for the district. And you've kind of helped provide a neat template for how to engage that thought process, because a lot of this can't be done with one single teacher. But if we get a collective, then I think we can make movement. And that, that's what I'm kind of paying attention to and what you uh, talked about in your books anyway, in lectures. Yeah. You know, for, for years and years and years, Probably for 10,000 years, people have gotten together and formed groups, a community of, of active people trying to do something. So that quite an interesting construct. It actually, to your point, allows for collaboration, right? If you think about it from that perspective, brings people together who maybe haven't been together before. It, it actually does a great job of actually helping people collaborate. It allows them to talk about things other than themselves. That is a great way to unite people, actually. You know, if you talk about the differences between schools, uh, what are we do doing in this school versus what are we all doing to help outside of the school? You bring people together towards that, that cause or issue or stand that you're taking. So from an organizational structure, it's really valuable and helpful. It's also very, it, it accelerates and it focuses like I don't know if you ever studied physics but you know force over surface equals pressure so you get more people focused on this this is it you get through that wall of whatever you're trying to barrier you're trying to get through easier and better I was uh realizing that I had too many objectives in our last strategic plan so narrowing that focus like you say and unifying these different interests because our, our building is made up of a lot of people with a lot of different points of view and 
different interests, but I know we could merge some core issues that would be important for them. And it would help to define uh, the change that we want to make, like you've stated, you know, before. Yeah, I think behavioral economists who are really experts at human behavior and behavioral change will tell you that if you have like one thing you want to change or maximum two over a course of a year, that's a lot. Um, Because humans, unfortunately, don't like to change and it takes a lot to change, even if it's in their self-interest, you know, like smoking is bad, but yet people still smoke. So a super simple idea that is simplified and dramatized and exaggerated and reminded is going to have a bigger impact than 20 things. So again, that physics equation idea, a needle will go through a hard table better than a 30 by 20 inch flat sheet of paper. So you're talking about a lot of things that I've, I've heard idea-wise, conceptually, to some degree before, right? Simon Sinek talks a lot about how we need to find our why. Stephen Coulter and Jamie Wheel, they talk a little bit about, in their book, Stealing Fire, they talk a little bit about how if we have that direction, we have that purpose, it's going to help us find those flow states and we'll actually find joy and and time will fly as we're we're working. I think about Warren Buffett's, yeah, you take your 25 goals, you condense them down to five goals, and those are really what you focus on because, and that's how you really whittle down what you need to do. So I'm hearing little echoes of brilliance in what you're saying, Scott. And what I'm wondering is if you have any concrete strategies that consistently help you stay focused on your purpose so that you can be actionable in the right direction. This book that I've written together with my colleague, Chip Walker, which is called Activate Brown Purpose, is actually beyond why. So it's acknowledging that why is important. And there are a lot of books out there that talk about having a purpose and finding a purpose and that's important. This book is actually beyond that. It's like, once you have a purpose, now what? And that's the big problem because toothless purpose is giving it all a bad name, isn't it? The biggest problem is action, getting people off their seats and doing it. And so, Credit where credit's due, all of those books that Simon and others wrote are great, but they're not the problem. The problem is action, getting leaders, all everyone to start moving because we have some big issues to solve. In terms of what I have as a purpose that guides me, it's from the very beginning, um, when I when I started Strawberry Frog in 1999, it, it was to use creativity for good, believing that it's in the interest of business leaders to drive positive change. And so that's, that was, that's my purpose and that's my focus of what we do at Strawberry Frog. How did you take that purpose of, of using creativity for good and make it more than just a plaque on a wall? In very, very briefly, when I started Strawberry Frog, our first client was a company called MCC, which was a it was a joint venture between Swatch and Mercedes at the time, Daimler Chrysler. And uh, they came out with a car called Smart. And we worked with the launch of that car. This, this client was based in Switzerland. And the idea about Smart was not to launch a new B segment vehicle. The idea that we came up with was 
to reinvent the urban environment. It was a movement. People had a common interest. Everyone from municipalities, parking authorities, rental car companies, and consumers, consumer groups, to try to solve the issues we have in our, in our cities. The fact that we sit in traffic for eons and adding more cars isn't going to make life easier or better. So SMART was designed not as a launch of a two-seat two, two uh, B-segment vehicle. It was a mobility concept where rental car companies that have parking lots full of cars on weekends and this two-seater and municipalities that actually created parking spaces sideways because the cars were so small. And all these people got together and said, okay, these are the 10 things we're gonna do. They didn't listen to behavioral economists in those days. So it was 10 instead of two. And they, um, we ended up coming up with a system where you bought a smart, you could use a Mercedes that was part of a rental car company on the weekend if you needed a bigger car for your family and so forth. So it was a movement to, to reduce to the max, it was called, it was to reduce um, the problems we faced in urban centers. And that was the first thing we did. And ever since then, every project that we've tackled has been through the approach of driving a movement, not just doing an ad campaign or a marketing campaign. One, one thing that struck me is that you're, you're one of the books that's out right now that actually talks about COVID, that is actually mentioned in the book. So it's very recent. And COVID has affected us dramatically as, as a school and how schools operate. And one of those areas is relationships. They're strained in, in so many different ways. So a, a critical thing that we're going to need to do moving forward right now is building relation, rebuilding, reformulating our relationships. Moving forward, if we set our vision together with what do we want to, what do we want to look like on the other side of a COVID when next year comes, here's our chance to rebuild and refocus and be something that everybody has a piece of, you know, that they've, they've had a voice in. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about probability of where we're going to go with it, actually, after all this mess. I mean, but it's messy yeah, right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think the opportunity, of course, is, you know, how do you use a crisis to get to a better place that obviously is, isn't lost on leadership. Leadership always sees you know, like the Chinese say, crisis is, uh, the word crisis is both, crisis is both uh, opportunity and, and, and challenge. I think it's also opportunity to, to feel what it's like to live in constant change, you know? Um, this is the world we're living in and it's gonna only accelerate. Um, we're never going back to the world that I had as a kid, you know, it's never gonna be a to B to C and so forth. We're living in a world where the plates are constantly shifting. And how does that redefine relationships? You know, how do you have, you know, what are the learnings there? Um, so I think you're on the right track, to be honest, to, to envision what the future might be like, because that allows you to dream. And then once you dream, then you can start taking, you know, steps to get there. I think unless you do that, it's really hard to know where you're going to go. I want to tie these two threads together, Scott, that you're talking about, which is that people can only handle so much change, one or two things in a year. And 
obviously just now talking about, oh my gosh, there's been so much change. <laughs> uh, obviously as a school looking to change, that's one thing, but then students in the classroom talking about your own family, going through change and change and change, and then teachers trying to help them change and grow and change models, and now you're online, now you're in a hybrid mode. How do you cope with change thrust upon you and help make positive change? Or is that not possible? I think it's really hard to have change thrust upon you. And until you've had it happen to you, you don't know what it means. You know, I mean, it is part of our lives. It always has been, but not to the extent that it is today. And humans are creatures of, we go through life in, in routines and default mode. Um, the only advice I can give you is if you look at sailors or mountain climbers, you know, sailors, for example, they're in an ocean and one day the waves are blowing and high and the wind is there and they have to be able to change at a moment's notice. It's a completely volatile situation. That's a bit like the world we're living in. And I think sailors have a clear purpose. You know, they know where they're going. They know where they're coming from. The rudder almost is that purpose. If you visualize it as a metaphor, if you have a purpose, it acts as the rudder. It helps you kind of be a little more stable. Purpose allows you to have values, just a handful that you think are really important. And when you are hit by change, just always go back to those values and they will help you feel grounded. If you don't have values, it's really hard to feel comfortable in change. Scott, I'm, I, there's one chapter in particular of your book that really resonated with me working with uh, teachers and, and students. It's one of your earlier chapters, like chapter two or three, and you talk about movements. Yeah. This country was founded by a movement. People of born in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. everyone's been part of movements it's, it's not a it's not that comp it's not that foreign an idea what it is and, and if you understand that as teachers it can become a really valuable tool for both teaching for motivation for building trust for inspiring creativity you know versus the old model of kind of teacher knows best and mandating certain behaviors that world doesn't exist anymore. We're living in a world where nobody reads Vogue magazine to get the latest trends in fashion. They get them from thousands of individual bloggers on Instagram. So this is a peer-to-peer -peer world and people are getting their education and their inspiration from social media. And what you can do as teachers is build the environment within which people feel inspired to achieve some kind of goal that you can set out, that you can crystallize, but they're going to find inspiration from their peers and they're going to find ideas and, 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 and be educated from social media. Like my kid, my son, you know, gets a lot of information from YouTube. I'm sure yours friends do too. This is part of what I mean. You know, like if you've set out a framework of a movement, in your community, in your district, among the parents, with the children, you can guide them. They will use their sources to achieve that. But it's not a world where, like when I grew up, where the teacher was the top of the pyramid and 
what the teacher said you, you did. It doesn't exist anymore. Thank you, Scott. We have a rapid-fire section at the end that we call In the Blink of Three Eyes, so we'll kick them off. So, Scott, what podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately? Two podcasts that I find super inspiring is uh, After Hours by the Harvard Business School and secondly, Pivot, which features um, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. I don't agree with a lot of what they say, but they, I just love the conversation, conversational podcasts versus simple interviews. So I think those are really inspiring and they're, they're, they're just topical about what's going on in the world and they just provide opposing views. Uh, so those are my favorite. I just finished reading a book. I read a lot of books. I just finished two books actually last week. One is called Circe. It's a book about Greek mythology. If it was written from the perspective of a, of a woman versus a man, so it's less militaristic and more around relationships. Um, and, and it's funny and very witty and interesting book. And then I read, I read another book called The German War. And, you know, we've read a million books about war and secular war. It's almost too much. But this one's quite interesting because it's made up of letters, written letters that were from German citizens, including soldiers, writing home and parents running their children. So it really gives you an interesting perspective of how people actually thought. And what I found fascinating was how people tried to make sense of obviously what was going on, but also try to keep their values. But at the same time, it was impossible. You know, there was one story about a young man whose mother was a Sunday school teacher and her father, his father was a minister, Lutheran minister, and he was a 19-year-old boy literally killing men, women, and children in Lithuania. And like his home, he would write home to his parents and have his values projected as if he was an honorable young man. And then he would write his friends telling him about the gruesome details. And I was like, how, I couldn't, I can't imagine how people can keep those two personalities together. So from that perspective, those are the two books I just happen to be reading lately. Yeah. Absolutely. I love epistolary novels. I just uh, just loaned one to Nick, uh, Loving Frank. It's a great book. Um, so here at Third Eye, we really value innovation. Um, what's one innovation that you've seen recently that, or that you would really like to see around the corner? I think I love the joy of innovation. I think it's so important. But innovation for innovation's sake is not helpful. I think we need to solve, as I said, some of those bigger issues out there. For me, you know, if you gave me a billion dollars and said, go ahead and, you know, solve some big issue out there using innovation, I think I would probably educate girl children because if you educate a girl, you educate a family, you reduce uh, overpopulation, you, you help solve sustainability issues, disease, terrorism, I mean, basically a lot of issues. Um, so for me, that would be an important aspect. In terms of, um, you know, innovation brought to life, I mean, I think Zoom has been amazing for me the last 12 months. It's amazing during the last 12 months how we've all, as a society, been able to maintain a pretty normal level of functionality with an innovation like Zoom um, and, and other tools at our disposal, like Slack and social media platforms, some of the better ones. I love Clubhouse. 
um, as an innovation because I think a lot of the social media program platforms are are terrible for us as a community. I think they are monetizing division. I think um, they are destructive. Clubhouse, on the other hand, adds the humanity of voice, makes it very difficult to be rude and to be um, hardcore, uh, politically right or politically left. It, it, it kind of brings humanity back to social media. So for those, those reasons, those are the things I, I admire right now. Thank you. And our last question. Uh, listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be? I think the first thing that people um, should do is to try to remember a time when we were able to compromise as people and stop trying to find fault with others. We all have, you know, the old story of throwing rocks at glass houses. We're in a time of crisis in this country and in the world. And we're tearing each other apart. We need to find the strength and power and the courage to build bridges between people. America's greatest strength, greatest magic power is compromise. The country was founded on compromise. If we have no compromise, we have nothing. And we have for many generations been a symbol for many countries in this world. And to get back there, we need to compromise. We need to build bridges. So for me, the first step would be to look inside yourself and try to find a way to accept the other and to build bridges. And to me, that is the most important, that's job one that we need to start with. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott. Hello. Thank you to Scott Goodson. Thank you as always to Dover Yoda for supporting us. Thank you to Michael Carolyn, Heather Lake, and Nick Truxell for hosting, as well as Michael Terrell for our jingle. If you like what we're doing, make sure you tell someone that you like what we're doing. Join us next time for a wonderful conversation with Sarah Zerwin, author of Pointless and Feedback-Based Reporting. In the future, join us for conversations with Kim Marshall, the 20-year veteran of the Marshall Memo, as well as conversations with Laserbeak and Elon, Minnesota musician entrepreneurs. We look forward to having you again.